Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And with that, let's get to the show. Today we are going to be talking about measuring tools. We are continuing the theme that we already started, which is I am giving you guys a rundown, a basic understanding of the tools that you may or may not need when you're getting started in this stuff. Of course, everything that I bring up is just the basics, the fundamentals of tools that you may need for guitar building. When you really get into this, you will find that the things that you think you need, and I'm using air quotes here, really expands out and you end up with way more tools than what I'm going to even talk about here. Or maybe not. Some of you guys are real good minimalists, and that's great. I end up, however, with a lot of tools, because <laughs> I am not a minimalist. All right, so let's get right into squares as the first category of measuring tools that we're going to talk about. Okay, so there's many different types of squares, and we're not going to talk about all of them because that's not very helpful. Things like a speed square or a combination square, both of those I think we can just you know, throw to the side. A speed square is, is essentially that triangle-shaped square which carpenters use to just knock out uh, 45 degrees or 90 degrees on something really quickly. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're not, you know, sitting on top of a roof and, and need some quick reference. We uh, are in a workshop and we're able to use uh, the right tool and a more accurate tool. Not that a speed square can't be accurate, but... Anyway, we'll get to that, or we won't get to that. I'm sorry, we don't want to. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, combination square is basically just an adjustable square. The problem you run in with combination squares, even though they're great for setting a height, if you wanted to set a very specific height on your square, you can do that with a combination square. But because it's adjustable, that means that you're gonna possibly lose a little bit in accuracy. Enter the tri-square or the engineer's square. These are the two types of squares that we or you probably want to be using within the realm of fine woodworking and guitar making. The difference between a tri-square and an engineer's square is almost negligible. They're basically the same thing. You will see tri-squares that have a wooden reference block on it. That's sort of the defining characteristic between an engineering square and a tri-square is simply that an engineer's square has a metal reference block and an engineer's square is also built to a higher standard. So I would really recommend just getting a good quality set of engineer squares. Another thing that I like about them is they have a little notch right at the 90 degree corner which is basically to deal with any sort of 
dust or swarf or anything like that that builds up in the corners that you would be checking. So when you're checking 90 degrees on a corner, there's always the issue that corners often have something just on on the edge that's going to hold you up. So it's hard to actually get an accurate check if there's something in that corner. So just notching, leaving a little open space there, relieves that and solves that problem entirely. Six inches and three inches would be good starting squares to have if you just wanted to be minimal about it. You could just get a three inch and a six inch engineer's square. A tri-square, again, would also work. Uh, very little difference between the two, but if you're really trying to decide between the two, I would lean slightly towards the engineer's squares for the reason of that little notch in the in the corner and just the fact that they tend to be built to a higher standard because the reference block is not wooden. Some other squares that are just worth talking about, bevel squares, which are adjustable but not for height. Well, actually, they are adjustable for height, but more, more importantly, they're adjustable for angle. So that way you can set up odd angles, acute angles and obtuse angles, instead of just checking 90. But again, having a really well set up set of engineer squares that are perfectly set at 90 is critical. Okay, now let's talk about straight edges. Technically, your squares also function as a small straight edge. So if you use a 3-inch square, you also have a 3-inch straight edge. Not super useful in those small sizes, but there are situations actually where that's just what you need. But what I'm really talking about here are larger straight edges. You're going to want to have an 18-inch straight edge and a 24-inch straight edge. By the way, a straight edge really is anything that you trust as reliably flat. Very often people use stainless steel rulers and in carpenters levels. However, these are usually not a great tool for this job because the tolerances are just different for that, for what those tools are built to be used for. It's often better to just buy a straight edge, something that is sold specifically for the purpose of its reliable flatness. Now you'll be using your straight edges all throughout the building process from checking the flatness of various materials early in the process as you're just simply milling them and getting them ready for the build to setting the neck angle, doing all your fret work and your setup, aligning the fretboard with the bridge location, identifying the bridge location. Straight edges just come into play all over the place. Often for luthiers, because so many of us start out in the repair world, our first straight edge we purchase because we are doing a setup and specifically checking the relief to see how much we have to turn the truss rod. So in the case of setting your relief, we use the straight edge by resting it on the fret tops with the guitar strung up to pitch and seeing how thick of a feeler gauge we can fit between the fret tops and that straight edge at a certain point along the center of its length. And that 
gap that we're checking with the feeler gauge between the fret tops and the straight edge, that is our relief. Now, this is how a lot of people do this. However, nowadays, what's really cool is you can purchase a notched straight edge from Luthery Supply Companies because it is definitely a Luthery specific tool. What a notched straight edge does is it is a straight edge with a little notch cut out of the straight edge at each fret location. And you can get these in both short scale and long scale for different fret layouts. But the point is that this straight edge should sit on the fret board rather than on the fret tops. So when you're checking your relief, it's actually more accurate to check it based on the fret board rather than the fret tops because your fret tops might have some inconsistencies in them. And we can rule that out with the notched straight edge. So I really want to mention the notched straight edge, not because it's required. You can definitely start out by just setting up your relief by resting a normal straight edge on the fret tops and getting your relief based on the gap between your fret tops and the straight edge. However, if you can afford it in your tool budget, get that notch straight edge and your setup work will be that much more problem-free and probably more accurate, okay? So my recommendation then for straight edges is 18-inch, 24-inch, and if you can swing it, a notched straight edge. Okay, let's talk about calipers. So having a set of calipers gives you a level of precision that you simply cannot get by just using rulers or other measuring implements. Calipers are all about precision. Also, using a caliper is really the, the only way to accurately measure thickness on the plates and the sides. You only need one set of calipers. This can be a dial caliper or it can be a digital caliper. It doesn't really matter. I have both. I happen to prefer the dial caliper just because I like it. So it's, it's really just that I don't like having something with a set of batteries that I have to change and the digital read, readout and all of that. I like the analog version, the dial caliper. In addition to that, there is uh, something called a deep reach caliper, which is you, almost like the quintessential Luthery tool. When you see an image of someone checking the thickness of the plates, you see this enormous kind of, kind of like a big deep reach C clamp, but with little prongs on the end to measure the thickness of a plate deep within its center. I actually don't use these. I don't even have a set. Not that they're not useful and not that you won't find great use in them. I just have never felt the need myself. So if you're just trying to figure out what you need for calipers and keep it minimal, just get a dial or a digital caliper and boom, you should be good.
So what else do we need? We're going to need a set of feeler gauges. It's really just a set of various metal shims that are of different sizes, usually measured in thousands of an inch. So very fine, very precise, and they're used for checking gaps, essentially. Uh, you can find them at automotive stores because they use them on spark plugs, checking the gap in the spark plug. And we use them for various things. I talked a little bit earlier about them when I talked about checking the relief. That's just one use case for having a feeler gauge set. But I also use feeler gauges to set uh, depths when I'm routing something that requires multiple passes, particularly if it's in a dense wood like ebony. I will use a small feeler gauge, like only 10 or 11 or 12 thousandths of an inch something pretty fine to set the depth for each pass so that um, the bit isn't being, isn't having to work too hard with any given pass. So there's just another use of feeler gauges, but it's really just one of those things that it's inexpensive, easy to attain, and great to have around. In addition to that, we will need, you will need, a protractor. Um, a protractor is simply a way of checking angles. So I use my protractor to set my neck angle when I'm doing the scarf joint on my neck blank. You'll need some radius gauges. So this is a Luthery specific tool. These gauges are for checking fretboard radii. So if you're building a guitar to a specific fretboard radius, you're going to need a set of feeler gauges that include, I'm sorry, not feeler gauges, radius gauges that include the radius that you intend to use. Also, radius gauges are just great for repair and setup work because you'll get instruments in in which you won't know the radius. So being able to check it so you can read the radius with that gauge is a useful thing. Okay, we'll need, you'll need, I keep saying that I will need, <laughs> it's just a, a manner of speaking. You'll need marking gauges. Marking gauges, um, really you only need one marking gauge. I, I have a whole huge set of marking gauges, which I'll explain at the end of this. Um, but you, you just need a marking gauge because it's a fantastic way of very accurately marking lines off of a straight edge. So what I mean by that is if you have something like a fretboard blank or a neck blank where it's milled square and flat across its length, it's very easy to accurately mark lines that are parallel to that length using a marking gauge because it has a reference block on it that's adjustable. And then a little tip for scoring at the other end. So you can place that reference block against the edge of your neck blank or fretboard blank and just pull along that edge. And that scored portion, or the, the sharp portion, I should say, will score the wood at a predetermined distance from that edge, giving you a very accurate, straight, and parallel line to that edge. 
So those are infinitely useful. Like I mentioned or alluded to a minute ago, I use a lot of marking gauges because what I like to do is set up my marking gauges to specific measurements that I repeatedly use. So I dedicate marking gauges. They're fairly inexpensive to attain. So I have probably 15 or 20 marking gauges and they all have little pieces of tape on the end. And on that piece of tape, I've written what that marking gauge is for. So for example, one of them says neck blank thickness. Another one says truss rod slot depth. And these are all quick references. I don't have to remember numbers in my head or go look over a sheet or a booklet where I've listed those measurements and numbers. I just have them all at the ready on my marking gauges. And so I can just grab those marking gauges and I'm off to the races. So what else do you guys need here? Uh, really, the last thing I have here on my list is a string spacing ruler, which is another Luthery specific tool. Stu Max sells it. I don't know if anybody else does, but all it is is a ruler. Um, it's not really a ruler because it doesn't have numbers on it. it, doesn't have measurements. All it is is a series of marks that get progressively closer together as you travel from one end of the ruler to the other. And this is used to set your string spacing because when you set your string spacing, what you want to do is account for the different diameters of the strings. And if you look at your guitar, going from the bass E to the treble E, the strings obviously get progressively smaller or thinner. So by using a ruler that also has marks that get progressively tighter together, you actually compensate for the diameters of the strings. Whereas if you just measured equal centers for all of your strings, you would actually have the bass strings would be more, or at least would feel more clustered together than the treble strings because of those wide diameters, right? So what you actually want is equal spaces between the strings. And the way to get that most easily is with a string spacing ruler. You can fig you can set this up, you can figure it out with, um, there's some mathematical tools out there on the internet for figuring out your string spacing and accounting for those string diameters. So you don't absolutely need this tool, but man, if you don't have it and then you get it, you notice the difference, you appreciate it. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay, well, that's all I got for you today, guys. In the next one, guys and girls, in the next one, we are going to be talking about hand saws. So we'll be talking about razor saws, dovetail saws, back saws, Japanese pool saws, coping saws, jeweler's saws, all kinds of crazy saws. It's going to be a wild time. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> I will see you guys in the next one. Oh, I, I want to mention that there is still one spot left in the November 11th to 19th, 2022 workshop. So if anybody's interested in getting into a workshop for 2022, that is the last available spot for the year. So check that out. 
you could send me an email and we'll get you registered for that spot. Anyway, have a great weekend and bye for now. If you enjoyed this and you learned something here, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you are enjoying this on at the moment. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericschaferguitars.com. Or you can register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Bye for now.